Hello and welcome back to The Real Heroes of E-Commerce. I'm your host, Jason, and today we are going to delve into psychology and its place in marketing with an interesting guest, Bob Hutchins. Bob has been around in digital marketing for over 20 years and is also a behavioral and organizational psychologist. So he's got a great viewpoint that spans pretty much the entire life of digital marketing so far. He has a new book out that he co-authored with Jenny Black called Our Digital Soul. So you will want to check that out and I'll put a link for that in the show notes. And we're also going to explore his idea of the symbiotic nervous system between humans and tech. It's a really fascinating take on how we are affected by tech and how we affect tech simultaneously and what we should think about that as that is the case. There will be more on this topic in the newsletter, so find The Real Heroes of E-Commerce on Substack and subscribe so you don't miss out. Okay, let's get to it. Okay, Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here, Jason. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about your work and what you're doing, including you know, psychology into marketing. Yeah, I would love to. Um, well, I guess I probably better back up. I started in... I. My kids call me a digital marketing OG, <laughs> and um, I started in digital marketing back in the late 90s, early 2000s. I started an agency here in Nashville around 2001, 2002. Prior to that, I was piddling around with it, working with some different companies. I was in the tech sector, um, sales and marketing, uh, and um, decided to to start a digital agency. So I don't know if that was smart or dumb or, or, <laughs> or at the time. Um, it was early on. It wasn't a high priority on people's list of spend, but here in Nashville, uh, I had a lot of contacts in the entertainment business, music industry, and I was fortunate enough to realize that uh, a lot of them were the first people to really put their toe in the water. Mm -hmm. uh, any type of uh, company or product that had a built-in fan base. Um, that thought outside the box or were a little bit creative. And so that's where I kind of started to build my agency was in the entertainment world. Mm -hmm. uh, shortly after that, uh, as time went on uh, and people saw that this was something that was going to stick around for a while, I started getting into other forms of media. So publishing, movies, films, et cetera. Uh, and over the, the years of about 16 to 17 years that I ran my agency, uh, I saw that there was a lot of changes. I saw a lot of things come and go as it come as pertaining to digital marketing. But one thing that stayed the same was human beings. Mm -hmm. uh, no matter what, we're always talking to human beings. And there's a saying that I always repeat. I'm going to probably get a plaque of it and put it on my wall because I repeat it so much. But E.O. Wilson was a biologist. And one of the things he said is uh, he just died, I think, about a year ago. But this was probably a decade or two ago. He said, the problem with humans many times is that we have paleolithic brains, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. Mm -hmm. And it's really, if you break that saying down from the doctor of biology that he was that wrote and, and, and won many awards and was really cutting edge from his perspective, and I believe from mine, if we, if we zoom out, human beings haven't really changed a whole lot as far as our physiological makeup, our brains. If you were to go back to uh, Bronze Era, Stone Age even, uh, 20, 30, even 40,000 years ago, uh, and maybe even more. Yes, we know more. We're a little bit, quote, smarter, maybe. Um, we have some technology. But at the end of the day, uh, anxiety is anxiety. Fear is fear. Uh, joy is joy. Love is love. Uh, and it's pretty much the same. We have the same type of brains and reactions and physiologies. Now, understanding that, uh, in the context of marketing, what I saw and continue to see in my work is that we are constantly trying to engage in our communications and our marketing and our sales, no matter what it is, 
uh, we're really dealing in behavioral psychology. We're trying to figure out what gets our target demographic, our psychographic to click, to buy, to purchase. And we're constantly optimizing to figure that out. And so we know best practices. We know maybe what colors and images are working. And sometimes the best marketers are the optimization specialists who are constantly there figuring out um, whatever it may be in the sales funnel, uh, what gets human beings to engage. So whether you're talking B2B, B2C, all of those terminologies, which I really hate because it's really human to human, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter it, what you're selling or buying, humans are talking to humans and we have the same brains that we've always had and we need to just figure out how to communicate wisely uh, and in ethical ways. And we can get in that, into that later, but that was, I began to notice those trends. I noticed, began to notice those things through the years And that really drove me to say, whether it's getting people to buy tickets of a Hollywood blockbuster in advance by the hundreds of thousands to launching a new product for a startup to, um, you know, tying into fan bases of of artists and, and creators, all of that to say, it's basically the same thing. You're getting, you're getting affinity. Um, you're dealing with psychographics uh, and you're dealing with behavioral psychology. So that, that kind of lays the groundwork for maybe what we're going to talk about today. Okay, great. Yeah. I think that's one thing people forget is if we have so much technology and we try to automate everything and, but at the end of the day, it's still just communication. That's right. Whether, whether it's in whatever form an email or an ad, if you're not talking to the customer, they're not understanding you know, technology is worthless. That's right. That's exactly right. I think we forget that um, as fancy as we want to get, and I think we've learned this through the pandemic, that we need that human engagement and that human interaction. And we can talk about this in a, in a few minutes, but unless we're able to create a really clear, accurate mirror that our, that our target that our customer, whoever we're talking to, can see themselves in and see themselves engaging with our product or service, unless we provide that mirror, um, they won't engage with us and they won't buy our products because Mm -hmm. that's what we really are all about is we want to see ourselves using that product or service. And when I can see myself using that product or service, then you've got me and I'll engage and I will respond or I'll purchase. But if I can't see myself engaging, if I can't see myself using that product or service, um, that's just bad marketing, bad communication. You've got the wrong target, the wrong demographic, et cetera. So yeah, it's, it's all about human beings talking to human beings. Yeah. I like that. Especially if you can't imagine what it's like to use the product, then you have no mental image to kind of to relate to and so you're just going to kind of move on because it just doesn't stick it lasts last sorry lacks that stickiness that's something that really speaks to you oh i really need to learn more about this product yeah and the stickiness is is um you know we always like i always tell my customer my clients that i deal with you know whether it be a company or product or an organization nonprofits even there's that tendency to want to talk about ourselves and we want to put out there, you know, I look at websites, copy, marketing, a a new business, helping them launch. I do it quite a bit. And I have to remind them that they don't really care about you and your story and how great you are. Um, They want to know, do you understand my prob their problem? And can you fix it? Do you have a solution? Um, and if you can't connect with them in just a few seconds, then they're going to swipe on to the next thing. And that's kind of funny. The way we are as human beings is as much as we like to think that other people are wanting to know about us and think about us, we're really just thinking about ourselves most of the time. Mm -hmm. And that's part, one of the things behind the behavioral psychology piece is that, If you can, again, create that mirror that they can see themselves because that's what they care about using it, then, you know, Amazon's a master at this, right? 
they they have personalized uh, my feed. And if we were to swap phones, Jason, your feed would look very different than my feed in your social, in your Amazon, in everything. And I would go, wait a second, this is not <laughs> Amazon. This is not Facebook. I I don't. This is not what I experience because we're all, you know, personalized. Everything is about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we have that sense that as a business, especially a newer business, a startup, just that concept of putting your best foot forward. So it's like they're trying to get that best foot forward on their website through their story or whatnot. But really when someone comes to your website, they're not looking at your foot. They're trying to see what's going to happen in their lives if they use your product or service. That's exactly it. So you have something called the 1% principle. Sure. So let's let's hear about what that is and, and what that 99% is missing. Yeah. Yeah, I call it the 1% principle. Um, honestly, part of that is a little bit of a of a sales tag, but the the meaning behind it is pretty accurate. And it comes from my years of experience, Jason. Uh, again, the digital marketing OG side of me. You know, most digital marketers look at 99% of the obvious information and they try to scale according to that. So they'll look at uh, the Google Analytics, they'll look at the data, they'll look at, you know, the ad analytics, and they'll basically say, um, you know, how can we optimize this and get a better ROAS on this return on ad spend? Uh, And they're looking at, you know, the visits, they're looking at, Uh, click-through rates. They're looking at where people are in the funnel. And in my experience through the years, the uniqueness of the 1% rather than the 99% obvious, that's where the gold is. Most digital marketers overlook that 1% that really gets them to scale. I don't focus on the obvious 99%. That's a given. I find, and I try to implement the overlook 1%, that maximizes scaling opportunities. And that that means that you're going to have to do the hard work. You're going to have to put in time. uh, You're going to have to audit and analyze. And you're going to have to really dig and find what can I continue to to scale and optimize that it's not just, hey, I got uh, a a 3x ROAS on this client's um, ad spend. And isn't that great? Well, what are you going to do month after month, week after week to get them a quarter of a percentage more and the next week, a quarter of a percentage and, a, and maybe you know, a half a percentage? And so that over time, you're really, you're really truly scaling up because what happens, and you've probably run into this, Jason, in your work is there are, and the reason that, that, that clients come and they hire us is they, they, hit a, they hit a wall or they hit a hurdle. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, I've st- launched my e-commerce business and we've got to $500,000, but we can't seem to get beyond that. How do we get to a million? Or they've gotten to a million and they're like, how do we get to 2 million? How do we get to five? How do we get to 10? There's always these hurdles that come along that you really need to bring in a professional that says, I've seen and I've engaged with dozens and dozens of clients over the years. I've with many different vertical markets. And that's the value of working with an agency partner to say, here's the, here's that 1% and here's the magic sauce. So it could, it could be that 1% could be um, that you're over optimizing for a certain demographic or you're not using the right type of uh, ad units or you dig and you find, you know what? you need to tweak on this page a quarter of a way down on mobile. Um, you're, you don't have this page laid out just properly. Maybe your, um, maybe your target demo is in a certain geographic area that's, that doesn't have a high propensity to iPhones, but they have a high propensity to, to Android. Um, but you know, you found that this city over here is a high propensity to iPhone and you're op- you're optimizing your ads for the wrong way. These are all things that I look for that say, 
the 99% is easy and it's obvious. It's the 1% principle that really takes you to the next level. And that's also where the psychology comes in too, mm-hmm. to say, okay, I, I, I get this all the time. We we brought in lots of people. We've looked at all the data. We think we're doing everything right. What are we doing wrong? And so I'm able to come in and say many times, you are doing everything right. Your landing pages is optimized, your site speed, all of the things that you would look for. But maybe you're using the wrong verbiage in your ad. Maybe you're trying, you've, you're trying to target the wrong demographic. Maybe you're at the concentric circle and you're not at the bullseye. So these are all things that, that I talk about the 1% principle that really comes uh, honestly, Jason, with time and years of seeing and looking at a lot of data and a lot of psychological understanding to really hone in on how do we optimize for the client. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a lot of the the times the verbiage people use. It's usually coming from upper management or the founder and kind of what they think is the right way to present, which isn't always the right way to, to take in the information as the customer. Yeah, they don't. They they're they're not. They're unwilling to test. Um, here's here's one thing that drives me nuts, and I'm sure you've seen it too. Is and this happens with large companies as well as startups. But you would think that large companies would get this. Um, you know, they're they're they look at their return on ad spend, which I think is it, it's good, but it's not the complete picture because you're just talking about a sale. You're not talking about revenue and earnings. So I say, what is the lifetime value of a customer? What is your cost per acquisition? And they look at you like, oh, well, we're still working on that. Um, And so many times, and clients don't like to hear this, but you can actually um, get upside down in your ad spend and still make money because you understand your lifetime value. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you spend a dollar and you make $2, you go, great, that's great. But then you go, okay, we spent a dollar um, and we spent a dollar, but actually it cost us $1.50 to, for the sale. Oh, that's, the, you know, that's not great. We're, we're, we're upside down. But actually you make $10 on the customer over a year, you're actually way ahead. It's mm-hmm. understanding those type of things and understanding what the true cost of a customer acquisition cost is meaning, okay, now let's build in your overhead, your salaries, your everything else and say, okay, what is the true cost to acquire a customer? Those are things that as agencies and as consultants, we kind of have to put on our our business consultant hat and and get in there and roll our sleeves up and really get them to understand. So those, those are some of the other aspects that we won't get too deep into the weeds, but that's what I run into as well. Mm -hmm. You might've post recently, um, about the customer journey and how you involve psychology and math mm-hmm. into helping that. So what, where does that math part come in? Yeah, it's another way of saying, um, you know, marketing, we like to use a lot of words, Jason, and, you know, we're, we're infamous for this in, mm-hmm. in agency <laughs> life and digital and, you know, we throw away, throw around ROAS and strategy and, and mark, what is marketing and what is digital marketing? And, you know, all of the things that we, that, that we understand on some level, but I also think it can be, it can be a mask for hiding a lot of things. Uh, As marketers, we're infamous for taking credit when things work, but not taking credit when they don't work. It's someone else's fault. Um, so I like to simplify things for my own brain. And what I've realized over the years is that great marketing is nothing more than behavioral psychology or psychology plus math. And when you get those things, that formula right, then you've got great marketing. So the psychology piece is what we talked about. It's the behavioral understanding what gets people to engage. The math piece comes with really understanding data measuring what you do, making sure that you have attribution elements set up correctly, that you're tracking, and that you don't launch anything until you do have all those things plugged up. Because 
you need to understand and look at, you mentioned earlier about language and sometimes clients like certain terms. I like to go in with data and be armed with data um, because so much, there's so much um, uh, gray areas when it comes to people's babies. And when I mean babies, it means, you know, their companies, their businesses, their creations, and they have, they've lived with it. They're close to it. It's kind of like our kids can do no wrong. Um, but bring the data before them and say, you know, I know you think this is the right way to present your product, or maybe these are the right branding images, or this is the right way to price your product. But when you're armed with the data, and that's what the psychology plus data, you're able to look at the analytics, you analyze it, uh, and then you're able to make decisions, and then you use that data to scale accordingly. So it really is uh, behavioral psychology and analytics and data. So that's the, I, I call it math, um, but it really is numbers. It, it's numbers, it's scaling, um, it, it's changing, it's tweaking, but, but it is psychology and math at the end of the day. And when you really get those two things down and you understand them and you're able and not afraid to go deep in both those areas, what comes out of it is really great marketing. Well, a lot of companies, they they assume that they are doing everything right with the data. They, they analyze it, but where do they slip up? Yeah. You, you see this a lot this year. People are talking about, oh, these uncertain times, but they have the data. So what are they looking at it wrong to not being able to understand what's going on? I think it goes back to our earlier discussion. Um, they're just looking. It's kind of like, I would say, you're, you, you've... You've gotten spoiled uh, by turning knobs and flipping levers. That that's part of the problem. We've all seen this uh, back in you know 2006 through 2012. Um, it was a it was so fun on some levels on Facebook to be able to scrape user IDs and build databases and. All you had to do was turn a lever and flip a button and go, oh, you want to target this demographic and this location um, that, that, that does this, that visited this store yesterday. All of that was available. Well, that data is easy to look at. Well, what are you doing now in 2022, almost 2023, when all of that third-party data is gone? on many platforms and everyone's going first party data, first party data. That's where understanding this information and looking at data. And, and again, looking at that 1%, that 2%, that small percentage, the important things really comes into play. Um, that's where you've got, you've got to be able to set up attribution. I keep coming back to that. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say to all agency owners, to all marketers that are listening to this, if you want to be invaluable and you don't want to be commoditized and you want to keep your customers, figure out no matter how you need to do it, hire a couple of programmers and figure out how to get accurate attribution for your clients. That's what they're paying for you. Uh, that's what they're willing to pay any amount. If you can say with certainty, with the data, you put this amount of money in and this is how much Here's the return on it. And here's, I'm tracking it all the way through the customer journey and the customer funnel. Mm -hmm. That is the future. And that's what customers are going to expect. If you're still stuck in, hey, look at all these traffic we got and look at the return on ad spend. That's all you're showing. Um, anybody can do that. They can get their cousin in college to do that or their nephew to do that. You've got to get into real deep attribution and data and analytics. But a lot of people have been tripped up by the iOS, I guess, 14. Um, so it's harder to get a lot of that information than it used to be. What are some ways that people are able to get proper attribution? Well, I would say use your website, use first-party data, go back to the good old days of building your email list, um, testing sending out emails, analyzing the data, segment your emails. But also, again, we've gotten spoiled. It's like, oh, third-party data has gone away on iOS. 
Google's going to take it away and Facebook's going to take it away. Mm-hmm. You still have a lot of other options. Programmatic advertising um, is now becoming more and more accessible to everybody. Programmatic advertising was the domain of the big ad agencies and you had the big ad desks and you had to spend, you know, a million dollars even to get a seat and access to it. Those days are you are, are, are coming to an end. There's so many different uh, platforms that are coming online that it's self-serve. Uh, you, there's, there is a plethora of third-party data uh, and analytics and attribution that you can set up to run specialized ads, to get in front of almost any target demographic you want to. So don't be afraid to look at that and engage with that. Um, I would say too is learn how to create your website experience, drive first-party data, uh, get play with text messaging. It's huge. Uh, it's a great way to own that data, but also learn that you've got to recreate the Amazon experience to the everyday man. This is getting back to the psychology. We've been trained and we've been brainwashed. I guess you could call it that in a, maybe in a positive way, depending on how you're looking at it, that, Hey, if I come to your website, I'm willing to buy it from you. But if it's going to take longer than two days and I have to take too many clicks to buy, I'm gone. I'm going to go over to Amazon and I'm going to see if I can get it cheaper because I don't have to pay shipping. So you've got to make sure you set up that experience very, very similar because that's who you're being compared to. Mm-hmm. And, and e-commerce today allows you to do that in most cases. There's lots of, of solutions and, and add-ons. Um, but to answer your question, there's more out there than just Google and Facebook. And even those two platforms are still great. And still you can get creative with attribution, even on that. Um, but it's not as easy as it used to be. But, there, mm-hmm. but, there's, still, but there's still a lot of opportunity. Very cool. Um, what are some examples that you found that are interesting examples of psychology, behavioral psychology applied to, you know, a certain business? Yeah. Well, I think it's all around us today. Um, I just wrote a book with a co-author. It's called Our Digital Soul, Collective Anxiety, Media Trauma, and a Path Toward Recovery. Um, it, it it sounds counterintuitive to what we've been talking about. Um, one of the things that I've learned in my many years, and I'm, I'm getting, I'm kind of coming around the long way to answer your question, is that we are connected um, almost endlessly 24 hours to some sort of, of internet-based digital brain. Um, and that we when we go online and we search for things, whether it's through voice search, um, through Alexa or Siri or whatever, Google, whatever we use, or uh, it's through our phones, our cell phones that, that are constantly by our sides. There's, a, um, there's, there's something that has taken place that um, these become extensions of us and they cease to be just tools um, I hear that all the time, and it's really a misnomer that um, the technology and the internet, um, they, they, they're not just tools. Uh, they shape us. Uh, they control us uh, just as we shape them. And so with that in mind, we have to understand that um, if we're going to communicate and we're going to be a force for positive and human flourishing, which I'm all about, then we need to certainly think through that in our marketing and our advertising. And so for me, um, I'm all about uh, profit. I'm all about success for my clients, but not at the expense of um, unethical psychological manipulation on the other side. So Mm -hmm. what does that look like? Um, Well, it could be as, as simple as playing into scarcity. Um, Mm -hmm. Scarcity is what you're always told as a marketer you use, right? Hey, we're going to sell out, so you better buy now. Um, hey, put a let's put a fake countdown on our uh, on the <laughs> checkout that says, "Okay, you got two minutes to buy this, or else." 
I don't care if that's effective. That's not ethical. Um, <laughs> we can do better than that. We don't it's... need to do that as, as people. We don't need to play off of people's FOMO. Um, these are all things that I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably answering your question in a way that um, maybe is here's all, here's, all the, here's all the bad ways to do it, mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot of positive ways to do it. We can uh, engage and use psychology and use math and use communication tools um, to really do well in the world. And that means being ethical entrepreneurs. Um, that means make being very successful, but at the same time, um, driving human flourishing in whatever ways that we're doing. So um, I'm going to get on my soapbox here. So maybe we need to move on to the next question, but uh, <laughs> that there's, there's so many different ways that we can do that. Um, and it, what we don't always realize is that it's being done to us all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jason, we are the product. Um, on all these platforms, we're the product. Okay, what's the product when you go to go to go to social media? You're accessing it for free. You're engaging with your contacts. What do they get out of it? They get your attention. They get your they they get your demographic data. They get your psychological responses to different things, and then they sell it. So you are the product. Uh, so as long as we can keep our eyes open and know that, hey, we're being used just as much as we're using it, and then keep that in mind when we're engaging and we're putting together strategies for clients or on behalf of clients or for ourselves, um, that's that's really the game that we're entering into. Mm-hmm. There's, um, for my soapbox, the um, this is something that me and my wife have been talking about a lot, is about customers are not something you get customers mm. are an essential component of your business. They're not separate from your business, but how we word everything is customer acquisition, the lifetime value of a customer that it is, it is a something else almost like it's the competitor in a, some sort of like a football match. Um, who's going to win. If we yeah. win, they buy from us. If they win, they, what they escape and go <laughs> play in a different stadium and buy from that company. It's a D de- it's, it's dehumanizing. Yeah. And so, and I like how it's a lot easier for people to understand that they're the product when you take it in terms of social media, because we've heard that a lot about how, you know, they're using us to sell data or whatever. So I think that's a good way to put it, to get people to understand that, to get businesses to understand that the customers are essential parts of their business rather than something you try to round up like with the sheepdog. Well, I'm a big believer in vulnerability. And one of the first things I advise and counsel my clients is can we, how can we be more vulnerable and honest and human in our communication with your product? Because vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And when I sit down and have a cup of coffee with someone and I am open and honest and I share my weakness, my faults, my warts, as well as all my strengths, I, I soon see a person uncross their arm and go, you know, I feel the same way. And that's happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Brene Brown has talked a lot about this and is, there's actually a ton of studies about it. But the reason I bring that up is to say, this is good communication. It's good marketing. And it's all, and it's honestly um, a way to build customer loyalty. Um, You know, you can think of, think of Southwest airlines, no frills. They make, they're self-deprecating. I don't know if you, if you've flown on Southwest airlines, but you know, Mm -hmm. they're making jokes. They're, they're cutting up. They're like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get you there on time. And I know you didn't pay a lot of money and we're going to throw some peanuts at you, but Hey, at least you're going to enjoy it. And we're all going to cut up and we're not going to be serious. Mm -hmm. Um, So you know what you're getting, you know, what kind of plane you're going to fly in and you know that you're probably going to get there on time. Most times Um, that's customer loyalty. And the fact that you and that I'm sitting here talking about Southwest on a podcast that will go out to however many people 
is free advertising for them. So kudos to them because they've done a good job, right? Uh, that's an example of a vulnerability, honesty, um, not trying to take advantage of people, not trying to be something that they're not, um, and allowing their, their, their staff and their team, again, to joke and laugh and self-deprecate um, and make fun of themselves. And so I, I think the more that we can do that and the more that we can be human, the more that we can find opportunities, you know, I think of Dove and what they did with the Real Beauty campaign where you had women that were anything but supermodels um, and, you know, no makeup, all ages, one of the most popular marketing campaigns of the past decade. And again, people just want to see themselves. If they can't, if they're like, I'm very few of us are supermodels, right? That's what the women were saying in that. And, but yet you showed a mirror of the everyday person and people responded to that. So mm-hmm. that that's what I would say is good, honest, human to human marketing and being able to think more like that. It allows your customers to be more forgiving when you do mess up. It allows your customers to be more loyal to go, I want to put my money with this the this company or these guys or whoever it may be because they get me um, and they're honest, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really cool campaign, the one with Dove. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was an interesting point about being kind of self-deprecating and vulnerable um, as a way to connect with people rather than, like you mentioned, scarcity. Right. Being kind of a negative way. Um, yesterday, I guess this is Black, what is this today? Cyber Monday, I think. We're all supposed to be yep. buying stuff still. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday, I got a text message from an, a bike company that said, this is the last day for this $200 off coupon code. And that was yesterday, like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I got the same text message this morning at like 8. <laughs> I was like, well, that was totally a lie then. Um, I didn't get nervous. I didn't buy the bike, but I guess I still can. Um, and I don't think it's going to end at the end of cyber Monday either. Yeah. 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 I mean, again, part of this is my love and study. You know, I went back and got a master's degree in behavioral and organizational psychology. And part of this is my, my love and passion for that. But I think also part of it is, I think, we're all kind of getting tired of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't need more. We don't need somebody trying to play off my anxiety or create an attitude of, of fear that I'm going to miss out on getting this bike at this price. If I don't buy it right this second, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that doesn't really serve anybody. Um, yeah. You might manipulate a bunch of people into buying, but at what cost? Um, I bet you're not, you consciously or subconsciously, you probably think a, a slight bit less about that company and that source. It's probably more than a slight bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, depending on what's important to you or not, um, mm-hmm. some people are like, oh yeah, it's not a big deal. I still love the products. But I, I think over time, I think it cheapens your brand. I think it erodes customer loyalty, um, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I've been... I don't have nothing against their product, but it's just knowing that they're kind of engaging that kind of tactic. It's like, unless I really, really want it, or they come out with something new, then, you know, I probably will just kind of forget about it. Yeah. And it, and again, standing on this soapbox that you and I are talking about, um, you know, a lot of people would go, well, of course that's the way you sell stuff. And of course that's the whole purpose of cyber Monday. It's a limited time, uh, a getting product. Well, so what? Um, I, I don't think, I think we can do better than that as people and we can build a, a much better um, e-commerce world out there um, because we're all going to have to live with this. It's not going away. Mm-hmm. And so I think we can push toward healthier uh, psychologically and human ways of doing things. Totally agree on that. Um I've kind of looked at it since Shopify kind of really made its mark probably six or seven years ago. And then they, they, all these apps came out. So they had this 7,000 apps in their ecosystem. And 
I guess it would be in 2019 or 18 when you started getting those those annoying type of like spin the wheel things like you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the the countdown timers that were obviously not counting down to anything. Right. Um, and all of these little kind of, they're kind of kitschy little apps that yeah. they're kind of cute at first. And it's like, Oh, that's kind of clever, but they're really annoying really fast to everyone who uses them. But now things have matured a little bit. Yeah, and and it's the customer that's matured, not the businesses. The businesses are that's still right. going about it the same way they always have, just whatever works. But the customers are a little bit more savvy on these kind of tactics they're, you know, being used on them because they see it all the time. If you see a spin the wheel thing on eight eighty websites over a three or four year period, like you know the game, you know how it's going to work. Um. So well, I think I think I think what we're seeing is a return to the basics. And when I say that, it again, people are like, what? Well, with third-party data being taken away on so many in so many places and privacy laws continuing to increase, I think marketers and creatives and ad people have to go back to the basics of write really good copy that moves people, create really good creative that engages the mind and the heart. Um, if you go back and look at some of those old Mad Men era ads, some of the old Volkswagen ads from the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, a lot of that Madison Avenue guys that were that were really, you know, making the way for all of us, that was some really moving, really well done stuff. And that stuff is making a resurgence because it's getting back to human beings, connecting with human beings in ways that, yeah, they weren't always um, the most ethical or maybe said some things or, or, or marketed things in ways that weren't the best. But for the most part, what we saw was people using well-written copy, not spinning dials and turning buttons so that you could bug the heck out of people with, you know, retargeting ads every time they swipe, but actually um, getting them to engage in something that was moving, that's beautiful, um, that's life-giving in, in a certain way, that's familiar, again, creating that, that human mirror that's really required to engage people and create customer loyalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be what's going to separate the good from the bad, you know, in this next year. Uh, I agree. Everyone's talking about recession right now. And so it has brands kind of on edge of like what they should do or where they should invest. And I think kind of making that human mirror through copywriting and messaging is probably one of the best, most cost effective ways to go about it. I agree. I agree. I've always been a big believer in content strategy. It's how I built my agency for 17 years. And it's how I still do. And it's how you and I connected, right? Mm -hmm. Like you read an article of mine or you saw a post. Um, I try to create things and share things that people are going to, that's going to touch them slightly deeper than just the average fluff that's out there. And when we take the time to do that and come honestly come from our heart and come from vulnerability and come from our own experience, then we create these kind of connections like you and I have made. And here we are sitting on a zoom call, recording a podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the platform being LinkedIn, where I saw that post, there's a lot of kind of fluffery <laughs> going yeah. on and what people, I know, schedule their posts out over a, a week. Um. I was on your Substack yesterday reading that article about the symbiotic nervous system. Yeah. Um, I know you touched on it a few minutes ago, but I really wanted to get it in there because it's, it's a really interesting way to look at how we are affected and affect the digital world in real time. And it was something that you said in the article, and I can't remember if it was an example that you mentioned or something that I thought of while I was reading it, but how like a national tragedy or a, like a natural disaster mm -hmm. affects, you know, me, I'm here in Portland. And if there's a, 
a tsunami somewhere or a hurricane. Like I am can be affected here and now, even though I'm thousands of miles away. And I think you said it. Empathy is still empathy, regardless if I'm there or here. That's right. And, and so I think that's a really interesting way to think about the symbiosis between the technology we have now and our daily lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can talk through that if we have time. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. Uh, Marshall McLuhan was a, it, uh, one of my, one of my heroes. Um, and I refer to him a lot. He did most of his work in the sixties, seventies. He might've done some in the fifties, but he was a media theorist, Canadian, um, I think he was at the University of Toronto, if I'm not mistaken, but wrote a lot of books and became a little bit of a pop culture icon in certain circles here in the U.S. He's the one that came up with the term, the medium is the message. Um, he came up with the term global village way, way ahead of his time. But one of the things he talked about in one of his most famous books was um, he, he, he said that media is an extension of human beings. So for instance, um, and, and tech, all technology. And so when he talked about media, he was talking about technology in general. And actually the media was not what we think of television, radio, internet, but actually all forms of technology. And so for instance, he said, the wheel is an extension of the foot. The book is an extension of the eye clothing, an extension of the skin. And he said, electric circuitry, an extension of the central nervous system. So um, if you think about technology in that sense, is that man creates technology as an extension to accentuate um, the wheel, for instance, it accentuated our feet. So we no longer had to uh, push things with our hands and our feet and carry them, but we could put them in a cart or we could get in some sort of cart and have, you know, uh, horses pull us. So it's an extension of these things. Um, and the same way books, we no longer had to remember everything in our brains and by rote, but we could record them in books and go back and refer to them. So on and on it goes. So if you think about the internet in the context of a symbiotic nervous system. You know, if we think about our own nervous system, um, it includes the brain, the spinal cord, and all of our nerves. Um, it sends messages back and forth. And so we created computers, which, why did we do that? What was that an extension of? Well, it was an extension of our, of our brains, right? It was an extension of our brains to be able to like, we can process things faster. We can store all this knowledge. And when, so as, as computers were created, man could double their, their brain power in so many ways, right. And production. And so if, 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 all of these technologies change us physiologically because they're extensions of us, right? Like we wouldn't have suburbs without automobiles. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't have, um, you know, universities without books and printing presses. They change who we are both culturally and physiologically. We're probably different human beings physiologically than when we used to have to walk everywhere. And every day, a human being would walk 10 or 15 miles or more, right? That's probably physiologically sitting in a car going from here to there and sitting in our couches. Mm -hmm. So all of that to say, so let's, let's take the definition. I think the internet um, has become an extension of our nervous system. Uh, with that as our definition, if we plug all those things in, you know, the cloud can be thought of as the brains. So it's a connected group of powerful computers. And then the internet of things, the worldwide interconnection, that's the nervous system. And we're all plugged into this nervous system 24 hours a day through our phones, through our whatever. Um, the brain needs information, experience, and knowledge. And just like our nervous system, Jason um, can respond positively to things that also responds negatively to anxiety, to stress, to trauma. Um, and so just like you said, whether it's a tsunami at the other part of the world, we're all disembodied experiencing that at the same time, right? You said you're there in Portland, 
but you can go online on your phone or on your laptop and watch a video in sometimes real time of something happening at, at one point of the world. And there could be um, 5 million people doing it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So you're actually there. Your brain doesn't know the difference. It's witnessing something in multimedia experience. Um, and in the same way, this symbiosis of when I go on Google and I search something, well, what does Google do with that? It takes it and it refines it and goes, oh, um, Bob just searched for this search term. Jason coming behind him in the next 10 minutes may need a similar thing. So based on Bob's results, I'm going to tweak it and modify it and refine it just slightly to be a better result for Jason, who's searching for the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's how Google works, right? We're symbiotically building and feeding this machine. And so one of the things that that I, I really try to think through and study on this is that, is there any wonder that we all feel um, and we sense and we're affected by this, especially when we've been plugged in at full overload for the past two and a half years? Yeah. Um, it, 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 if we're all um, connected and this nervous system is being overloaded and we're all sensing it and feeling it at the same time, do you, I think we're kind of naive to think it's not going to affect us. Um, so that's why I say it's so imper- imper- imperative that, um, that we fuel things that help mental well-being and not deplete it. Um, so be aware, being aware of the media, you know, taking breaks, being discerning about what you share and what you don't share. Um, when we're all together, um, witnessing some sort of traumatic event or disturbing event or divisive event, um, what's going on there? Uh, it used to be, Jason, that we all took our turns going through hard times in life. Uh, so that say in your neighborhood, your family, your community, if, you know, somebody next door lost a loved one or went through some traumatic event, everybody could rally around them and comfort them and observe and be part of the healing of that. Unfortunately, today we are all at the center of everything that happens, good, bad, and indifferent. And it doesn't give any of us an opportunity to not go through it and take our turn so that other people can be healers. We're all plugged in and we're all feeling it at the same time. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, my first thought was when someone did lose a loved one, usually the neighbors would all bring a dish, some sort of food that you can, the family didn't have to cook for a few days. Um, But you don't hear about that happening now. And I never thought about it that way is that we're all experiencing all these types of highs and lows. I like infinitely <laughs> all day, every day. And it takes it. If you go back to my original quote from EO Wilson, mm-hmm. paleolithic brains and godlike technology, um, our brains are still trying to catch up, wanting to respond in the same way. You know, there's a, there's a uh, psychological study that, that I talk about all the time, but it, it, it haunts me. Um, do you remember the Boston uh, Marathon bombing a few years back, probably 2013, 2014? Yeah. They did a study about a year later, uh, and they looked at a couple thousand people. Some Half the people were present at the actual event when it happened. The other people witnessed it online mm-hmm. through various sources of media. And the traumatic uh, stress... Uh, results and effects was actually worse on the people who viewed it on media versus the people who were actually present. And you say, well, what's the science behind that? When we are faced with a situation that is stressful, uh, traumatic, we see this in in other types of animals, um, we physiologically respond to it. Cause as we said, the brain, we're not just brains, but we're all, it's all connected. So people at the event could go run and hide under a table. They could scream. They could call 911. They could go help people that were hurt. Um, 
that's the natural reaction to an event like that is your body. It might shake. It might run into fight or flight. It might, you know, it needs to work. You might cry. You may scream. That's what the natural reaction you see this in animals when um, you know, an antelope in the wild is being chased by a tiger or lion and it gets away it goes and hides underneath a tree and it shakes. And sometimes it'll move its legs like it's running in place. And after a few minutes, it gets up and goes on its way. Well, that's an animal working out the anxiety, stress, and physiological um, of what just took place. That's what we're designed to do. It's how we work. But the people who were witnessing on media, mm-hmm their brains were going, oh my gosh. But instead of having an outlet, we just go, oh, swipe. And we look at the next one and your brain and our brains go, oh, that's horrible. Swipe, go to the next one. And so little by little, compounding by compounding, we're really, really fooling ourselves if we think that that's not going to add up over time. And we wonder why oh, why do I feel so depressed all of a sudden? Why do I have lack of energy? Why can't I sleep? Why is my kids, why are my kids talking about, you know, having suicidal thoughts? You know, all these things that we didn't deal with prior to being plugged in like this as much. Mm -hmm. Um, Not saying it's the sole source. I'm just saying these are studies that are taking place and things we're discovering that we're all plugged into this symbiotic nervous system that is an extension of who we are as human beings. That's fascinating and horrific all at the same time. (laughs) It is, but it's not going away, Jason. Um, Awareness is the first step. And then us as marketers, as technologists, as people who literally can make a difference on this, um, if we educate ourselves around these things, Maybe, just maybe, we can begin to push toward, um, hey, before you create that product or that app or that platform, how about you take some ethics studies and some philosophy courses and some psychology courses and make sure we run it through those filters, not just the filter of how do we create scarcity so people can buy it so I can increase my bottom dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one project I've been working on this year with my wife um called popsicle mm-hmm. it is a we realize that people are really happy when they have e-bikes mm-hmm. um because a lot of people are not commuting very much by bike they're not walking they're not getting outside they're just driving from you know home to work back home just to the couch if they're not working at home and <laughs> they have to commute and we've been talking to a lot of people over this year who do get on an e-bike and go to work every day. And they're just leagues beyond other people in happiness. Mm. And it, and it's just the unwinding effect of being outside on the way home that relieves stress. Yeah. One guy said like, as soon as he gets home, it takes an hour, I guess, um, he's present for his family. And when he drives, which is like less like 45 minutes or something, um, he said he still needs another hour to unwind or to go to the gym or something so he can kind of relax. And then he's ready to get, you know, play with his kids or whatever. And so I think that that's, that kind of goes into that unplugging physiological de-stressing Absolutely. Um, mode that our body needs to go through. So getting outside is is huge. I tell people, if you don't do anything else, go take a break and walk several times a day. I read a study recently that said people who take breaks outside and walk versus people who sit most of the day, they actually measured the people who walk are 60% more creative in their decision processes and their productivity, 60%. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Uh, that, That alone should tell you something. But yeah, there's been a lot and a lot of studies showing the value of, you know, lowering your blood pressure, lowering your blood sugar, clearing your mind, getting unplugged, on and on it goes. Mm-hmm. I think Bertrand Russell wrote The Pursuit of Happiness. Yep. Is that right? And one of one chapter of his on, on how to be happy, his example was gardening. Mm. Because that's personally what he his hobby that he liked to do. And it was just the the connectedness he felt by using his hands to do something 
I mean, he was a philosopher and thinker, so you don't think that that you assume that the guy's gonna be sitting around reading books and you know, kind of with a pipe in his mouth. But you know, he knew that one element of being happy was handiwork. Yeah, in his case, gardening. Yeah, it's any anything like that. It's your brain focusing, resting. Um, and it's also, we've forgotten how to be bored in our culture. <laughs> Being bored is super, super important. It's when your brain resets and it actually, your subconscious does and solves problems. And so we wonder why we have brain fog and we wonder why we have cognitive load. Um, we can't, we can't sit and, and have an uncomfortable moment. If you're in a line getting coffee or you're in a queue somewhere, or you're, you're, you're going to pull out your phone, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's like, people are so uncomfortable that if they have time alone by themselves, they can't stare at the ceiling or out the window. They got to pull their phone out and go, okay, everyone else is looking down. I better pull mine out and look down on it too. Um, that's a really, that's a real thing. Um, and that's what the beauty of hobbies and, and these other things are is, you can focus, you can be unplugged from other things and just rest and, and focus in on something that allows your brain to, to really reset. Yeah. That's important for sure. Okay. That did go away from the marketing side of it. So um, <laughs> let's it's all up. connected. It's all yes. connected. It really is. I think sure. it's, I, 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 I play in that pool. I tell people like that intersection of of technology, marketing, um, psychology, and culture, that that's the pool I swim in. And there's more and more of us that are realizing it, it, they aren't separate. Uh, it's really important. If you want to do good marketing and communication, you really need to understand these things. And I think it's really important that, that we have these conversations. Absolutely. All right. One last thing. Yeah. Uh, so what would you suggest for you know business owners out there going into 2023, like what should they maybe leave behind an old, old way of doing things or something they should like kind of adopt for the future? Well, business owners are, are dealing with a lot these days. uh, And I speak to a lot of them. Uh, One of the things that they're struggling with is trying to make sense of this hybrid and remote work culture that we all find ourselves in. Um, I think I would say to business leaders that this new world we find ourselves also calls for a new way of leading. Um, we've got to get rid of the old way. And I, I would say to business owners, treat people um, less like and lead people and measure their, their performance less of time uh, behind a screen, less of what they're doing and wondering where they are and more on goals. Um, This is really important today um, because this is what's driving our economy. It's what's getting, it's why people are doing quiet quitting. You've heard that term Mm -hmm. Um, is I like to use terms uh, with my teams when I manage them of uh, I will as measured by, if you can adopt that, philosophy and say, rather than um, leading and guiding and measuring success of your team based on their hours they put in, where they are, when they work, um, really begin to rethink that your measurement is on goals. It's on um, performance and it's less about micromanaging and it's more on allowing people to get in deep work and flow um, and coming back and having those one-on-ones, but always going back to the KPIs, the key, the key performance indicators of I will as measured by whatever that may be. And as long as you can get people to buy into that and hold them accountable to that and to rethink your leadership skills, I would say also uh, lead by example, talk more about mental health, talk about your own struggles, to be vulnerable Um, Create a culture where it's okay to talk about those things. Um, And then the last thing I would say too is um, work really hard at creating positive, healthy cultures in your businesses. Um, As agency people, as marketers, 
uh, we know what it's like to work in really unhealthy cultures. Uh, it, it's, it's epidemic. Those days are over. It's changing rapidly. And if you're going to keep people and you're going to build really great teams, you got to build really good cultures. And so it's about being human, being vulnerable, leading, not micromanaging, uh, and allowing people to work when and where they choose to work as long as they're held accountable um, with goals and performance that way, not through time uh, time and, and hours. So that's a lot that I've thrown out, but that's what I would say to business owners today. And also learn some good um, uh, behavioral psychology with your marketing. Um, psychology plus math, you'll do great marketing. Awesome. Bob? Thanks for coming on. This was really fascinating. Thank you for having me. I love it. I love the name of your podcast too. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks again to Bob for coming on the show. These are really interesting topics and ideas that we will continue to explore. So head over to heroesofecommerce.substack.com and subscribe. Okay. See you next time.